Hey guys, welcome to 5 Lights F1. I'm Prashast Pitti and here we discuss all things Formula 1. The grid is set, green flags, lights out, let's go. So we're discussing the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix of 2022. Uh, Sukriti is here to help us uh, go through the events of what was an eventful weekend. Uh, this weekend at the Imola, at Imola, we saw the return of the sprint format with Saturday featuring the sprint race. And one big change from 2021 is that the top eight drivers now get points with the driver finishing first getting eight points instead of a paltry three last year. So the sprints can certainly change things around in the championships. So Kriti, what are your takeaways from the first sprint? Yeah, I think um, we did get to see a very exciting uh, sprint race uh, this this time at Imola, even though it's considered to be a track that's not great for overtaking. We saw Sainz, uh, who started in 10th after his crash in qualifying, make up six places and end up in the fourth place. Um, Perez had a really good sprint race. He made up four places as well. And um, yeah, and Sonoda uh, had a surprisingly good weekend, um, outperforming Gasly, both in qualifying and the sprint. Yeah. So um, I think we had a really interesting um uh, interesting sprint, sprint race. It also gave us a little bit of the battle that we've all gotten used to with uh, Charles and uh, Max, um, where Charles had a fabulous uh, start over Max and was able to sort of take that position uh, to the cheers of the Tifosi. Uh, but that didn't last. I the last three laps. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. It also, I think, gave us uh, a great uh, battle in the midfield, you know, which is perhaps what the sprint was lacking. Uh, uh, last year, you know, with, with points being awarded only to the top three drivers, the drivers finishing four and below but didn't really have that incentive to, you know, push and like make those moves and or, you know, defend uh, uh, really uh, aggressively. But yeah, that all change, changes this year. And, you know, as Ross Brown said, this is still not their final uh, version of the sprint. They're still going to speak to all the teams and, you know, refine it a little further, maybe even change it up a little bit uh, for next season. But that remains to be seen. But yeah, it was certainly more exciting than uh, any of the sprints last season, I think. Yeah, perhaps with the exception of Brazil last year. Probably. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, But I also, you know, uh, speaking of the sprint, uh, even though uh, Charles managed to jump uh, Max at the start and got ahead, he uh, really had issues with the tire degradation, uh, you know, so uh, which is how Max was able to catch up with him towards the end and in the last five laps really close in and then eventually get ahead. Um, so given given these new cars and, you know, uh, the 18 inch wheels, just how important has tire management become that like we saw last last time around in Australia as well. That, uh, Charles was able to keep his uh, his lead over Max because the Ferrari setup perhaps was better suited uh, and allowed for lesser tire degradation compared to Red Bull. And the reverse happened this weekend, right, where the Red Bull car seemed to not suffer as much tire deg as the Ferrari. And Charles was really struggling with his um, uh, with with graining with the front drive. So, um, would you say that tire management has become perhaps as important or even more important than track position in twenty twenty two? Yeah, I think uh, this was something that I was actually hugely surprised at this year, given the fact that we had completely new uh, tire and uh, wheel sizes uh, for Formula One, uh, moving from thirteen inch rims to eighteen inch rims. It's a huge jump, right? 
so I actually expected Pirelli to make uh, much longer lasting tires that were safer uh, in that sense. And so I didn't think tire degradation would be such a big talking point so early on in the season. Uh, but yeah, it's, it seems like tire degradation and tire management seems to be like the mantra of this weekend. And, 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 and that's the biggest struggle up and down the field, right? With teams struggling to get the tires well in the operate in the right operating window of course a huge uh, impact that uh, was made like to these teams for the tires and getting them in the optimum operating window is the reduction in tire blanket temperatures yeah. you know that also would have um, uh, definitely made an impact so it has been a little bit of a challenging weekend when it comes to tire management and you know the Mer- Mer- mercs especially seem to be struggling to get back in like to get those tires into the right operating window and yeah as russell said post race that's what seems to be plaguing hamilton i mean he seems to have done made whatever changes he's had to make and you know get his car up to where he did but hamilton really struggled with it and you know honestly so did shal throughout the race yeah, and the mercedes historically also has always had issues with uh, getting yeah. temperature into their tires so that seems to be compounded this year yeah, but rain made its first appearance in 2022 uh, in, in this race. And, you know, a major talking point has also been the lack of DRS uh, uh, until like, you know, lap 35. It's Although it had stopped raining and there was a dry line, the race control didn't really enable DRS for more than half the race, you know, leading to a lot of criticisms from fans who believed that, you know, Leclerc would have been able to get past Perez with, with the extra 19 kilometers an hour speed that, uh, you know, opening your DRS wings uh, gives the driver attempting to overtake. And uh, were they right to wait so long to enable DRS? And once it came on, did it really make a difference? Yeah. So, you know, uh, watching the race, I think we were also uh, people that were really um, baffled as to why DRS wasn't enabled for so long. Because once Ricardo came into the pits and uh, put on slick tires and started posting, um, you know, green uh, sectors. Everyone sort of dove into the pits at once. Like in in a matter of two laps, I think the entire grid uh, had pitted and put yeah. on slicks. So it, it was a real um, question mark as to why uh, race control wasn't uh, uh, enabling DRS, given that the entire field was running uh, on mediums at that point. Um, but I think Sebastian Vettel made an interesting point in in the post race uh, media sessions where he said um, that uh, race control was probably right in their decision because it, it was still dangerous out there. And while there was a dry line on the track, there wasn't um, like in order to make a move or in order to take that overtake, the driver would have to leave that dry line. And I think uh, like Max and Perez uh, spoke about it in the post race as well, where they were talking about overtaking the back markers. And how that was tricky because the, the track was still wet in places. So I think at the end of the day, the race control prioritized uh, uh, safety. And uh, given that they anyway want to do away with the, uh, DRS um, uh, in the future, I, I think it was a good... Um, uh, Test of that. Yeah, perhaps. And I don't know, like we complain about DRS trains when there is DRS. And yeah. we had a train without DRS this time. And then the DRS came on and the train still continue to chug along yeah so um i'm not sure what how much of a difference uh enabling the drs yeah yeah Yeah, clearly it didn't uh impact 
even the leaders at the front, right, with uh, Charles closing in on Perez towards the end of the race, uh, even with the DRS, it's not like uh, he had the speed to make the move. Uh, and of course, it could could have been a result of like we were speaking earlier about his uh, tire issues, right? But he pitted for softer tires towards the end of the race to try and make that move, and he still couldn't get close enough, even with the DRS. Yeah. So. Perhaps this was a track where, uh, as much as uh, it made a huge impact in the sprint because of the complete uh, dry track, like you mentioned, perhaps the wet line uh, of of the racing line, the wet track of the uh, racing line, wasn't really helping uh, the overtaking, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, that Albon, Gasly, Hamilton, DRS train just like continued uh, throughout the race and. Uh, Hamilton really struggled behind uh, to make any kind of move, right? Yeah. And honestly, so did Gasly, because Albon was probably holding them up the most. Yeah, and they had Stroll in front of them, yeah. which is yeah potentially <laughs> one of the slowest cars on track at the yeah. moment. Uh, also, I think uh, it, it, it perhaps was a good thing that they didn't uh, enable DRS sooner, because we all remember what happened last year at Imola between Bottas and Russell, right? Yeah. That uh, crash was not a pretty yeah. sight. Yeah. Uh, so, Sukriti, the FIA has come out with updated rules of engagement for drivers, you know, with respect to overtaking. Speaking of that Bottas and Russell incident. <laughs> uh, so, the new guidelines dictate that a driver being overtaken must be given sufficient room to an overtaking car if a significant portion is alongside. The overtaking maneuver must be done in a safe and controlled manner while enabling the car to remain within the limits of a track of the track. Will this actually make an impact in the way the drivers race each other? Is it even possible to enforce this? Yeah, so um, I think the number of incidents that sort of happened last year and um, the fallout from all of them and, you know, um, everyone sort of calling out how inconsistent uh, decisions were and like some incidents were penalized and some weren't. There was a lot of the drivers have come out and said, look, we need clarity and, and, and we need consistency, right? If you're going to uh, enforce a rule, enforce it everywhere, which is probably what has prompted um, like race control and the FIA to come out and uh, share these sort of rules of engagement. Um, but um, I suppose the question also is that if you're going to define the rules for everything, at what point is, is anything going to be legal? And, and then the only thing that's going to be left is overtaking with DRS on a straight. So uh, somewhere, I think also you just have to let them race. Yeah. Um, so how can you define and, and what is what is sufficient room? What is a significant portion of the car? And the minute you start trying to define that also, yeah. um, I don't know how it's possible to race. Yeah, I mean, is the significant portion of a car being completely alongside the wheels being aligned? Uh, halfway alongside, like last year we had halfway alongside as a significant portion of the Grand Prix, but that didn't, uh, of the, uh, sorry, a significant portion of the car, right? but that didn't seem to make any difference. And honestly, how do lap one incidents come into this then, you know, with uh, uh, Ricardo and Sainz coming together uh, in the first lap in yeah. this race, right? Technically, according to the rules, that was science's corner. Yeah. But Ham uh, Ricardo still went on the outside and tried to make the move. Of course, made a mistake, and like uh, we we know the results of that. But yeah. 
uh, how do they implement it for first lap incidents? Or, or do they not? Like are lap one incidents just not like exempt? That's that's a question. There's no clarity on that, right? Again, it, they're trying to clarify things, but uh, it seems to be like there are only more questions rather than uh, clear answers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Alonso and uh, Magnussen though were given um, uh, black and white flags this time around. For weaving. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and that was like one of the other uh, things, right? With uh, Is it just like a question of race car drivers will continue to be race car drivers no matter what? Uh, because, yeah, they are going to defend. Like people, like a driver like Alonso, I can't imagine not him not doing everything possible to defend that place, even though he has a slightly slower car for whatever reason. Uh, and Magnuson is the same, right? He is going to defend for uh, all his might. Yeah, so. but it's interesting. Like, in that sense, race control really seems to be efficient this year because those black and white flags came out pretty quickly after yeah. the incidents. Versus last year, I think there were multiple instances and then there were like these warnings that were communicated to the driver saying that, okay, you know. No waiting um, on this trade. Yeah. So. yeah. But uh, it seems to be a little bit of a more of a no-nonsense approach uh, this year. Yeah. Um, but um, like where did it, we were racing at Imola, so we cannot talk about uh, Ferrari. Uh, they came into Imola with two wins with Charles and like three podium finishes, uh, two for Sainz, one for Charles, um, in three races. That's five spots on the podium in three races out of a potential maximum of six. The momentum was very much with them. So what happened? Imola, Italy. <laughs> The pressure of racing at home. Uh, I think Ferraris generally had uh, not very great luck in the recent past at uh, Italy and their home races. Um, you put it down to luck, you put it down to the added pressure of the Tifosi who, let's be honest, as much as they're passionate fans, it does put that little bit of extra pressure, right? Because the Italian fans are a little... Uh, Perhaps passionate, the, yeah, and I think that's the kindest way to the uh, to put it, right? And you know, it's it seems like uh, perhaps Charles is able to like soak up the pressure a little more. Maybe that's a result of him being there longer, you know, being part of like an Italian team longer, uh, growing up in that region. Maybe he just soaks up that pressure a little better, right? Yeah, but uh, perhaps for like signs. Maybe it was the added pressure of an extended contract. Maybe it was, and you know, it's just luck, right? For signs in the race, it was just luck that someone tagged him yeah. uh, from the back. And um, because even though he messed up in uh, qualifying, he's made up for it in the yeah. sprint, right? Yeah, he was back to P4. And exactly. He would have ideally qualified in the top two rows. Yeah. So he sort of got the sprint to make that back. Yeah, so uh, that that could be like one, one of the major reasons. Right? Would you say he's out of the out of the running for the championship at this point, like four races in. I think it's too early. Is the I team mean, consolidating behind Charles? I think it's too early. If they do consolidate behind Charles, I think it's too early for them to do so. It's a 23 race season. You mm. know, we have 19 races still to go, right? Including two sprint, two more sprint weekends. Yeah. So there are so, so many things that could happen during the course of this uh, season that it would be uh, unfair for them to uh, uh, concentrate more on Charles than than science. 
Um, so I think it's interesting because a lot of people um, online do speak about is it, that's that science is championship done and he's number two behind uh, Charles, but he's had two DNFs um, and uh, two spots on the podium. Uh, Max has had two DNFs and yes, two wins, but no one's saying Max is out of the championship. Exactly. Right. And Max and is currently, okay, now he's second. second, but earlier, like in the previous race, he was before this race, he was fifth. Yeah. And nobody ruled him out. No, and I get that they're still in the same team. So the team might want to consolidate behind Charles because he does have that uh, advantage over signs at this point. But yeah, I think perhaps too soon to say out of the championship. Too, way too soon, right? And so I think the team, uh, Ferrari team also felt that pressure, you know, with, with mistakes make, being made in like the pit stops and like Charles's first pit stop being uh, 3.7 seconds, which was like 1.4 seconds slower than Verstappen. Uh, that could have potentially, uh, if if his pit stop was quicker, potentially he could have come out in front of Perez. Yeah, and, and got that second place. And held on to that second place and like, you know, they wouldn't have had to pit him again. To yeah, like, and this pit stop put him behind Norris. So he was in P4. Exactly. And he had to make that move past Norris again uh, to get back into touch with the Red Bulls. And, you know, it just put that added pressure on him as a driver to yeah. make that move. Yeah. And that was, uh, again, like a potential reason for him to make that mistake because he was trying to desperately make that move on Perez and get that second place. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that that's also like a clear indicator of a pressure right with, with the team making uh, such a mistake on on the pit stop and what do you think about the start like uh, he had an issue at the start as well both did both ferraris yeah. had a bad start yeah um and sorry just to go back about the pit stops ferraris actually had pretty decent pit stops in the first three races mm. uh they've uh, been one of the fastest teams uh with their pit stops and really efficient so to see the slow stop for charles was um was a little unexpected. Um, speaking about the start, yeah, I'm, um, I'm I'm not really sure what happened with both of them, but both Ferraris were slow. Yeah, off the start. I think Charles lost two places to Perez and Norris. So yeah, I think it was a question of wheel spin or I don't know. Like Verstappen said in the press conference, it's it when it's a you know wet track or a damp track, these things happen, and yeah. you know maybe it's just something that they need to move on from. Or, Maybe it was like the like we said the pressure that was you know showing. Yeah, but coming um coming to coming to the the incident right um where he he finally went off track he he was trying to get past Perez and seal that second place um and he ended up uh, leaving the track and hitting the barriers and uh, and thankfully he was able to um get back onto track and continue the race and went in uh, for a quick pit stop. But that basically meant that instead of finishing third and getting 15 points for his championship, he only finished uh, in sixth place. Yeah. Uh, lost out on seven points. Uh, will is it possible that the championship could come down to this? It's to this certainly mistake? possible. I mean, uh, it, it is a long championship. There are very uh, like several more points to play for, right? And. Given how close uh, Red Bull and Ferrari are and how seemingly evenly matched they are on pace and uh, it's just from track to track whose setup is uh, more suited to that track. That's what it seems like, at least in these first four races. Uh, if they both, if both teams finish each race, 
then yes, it certainly could come down to this. Um, that that's my opinion on that at least. Um, I also feel like uh, what could make a significant difference is the two DNFs that Verstappen's had. Um, yeah. So uh, those points could also make a significant difference. But yeah, his lead has been slashed from uh, I think forty points to now twenty-seven. Uh, 27 so. And in the constructors, that uh, Red Bull is now only eleven points yeah. behind Ferrari. Yeah. Um, so it's it's going to be a who knows, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, it it depends on the season. What do you think about that? I think when you look back on a championship year, like at the end of twenty twenty one, which had like Hamilton and um, Lewis sort of facing each other, mm. um, everyone did like coming into the last two races, everyone talked about uh, Baku and um, how Hamilton's mistake. You know, he, he, he could have easily finished second behind Perez, but in a bid to get that win, to get those seven extra points, he ended up not scoring any points. And yeah. I mean, the championship could have come down to that. So I, I think there are always moments in, yeah. in a championship that um, you can always turn back to and say, oh, okay, that, that could have made all the difference when you're in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, I mean, potentially even, you know, Verstappen in Saudi Arabia and his qualifying and that one tiny mistake he made uh, right at the end. Of course, it, it didn't matter because at the end of the day, he won that race. No, uh, he won the last race. He won the last race. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Is it too soon to tell, uh, do you think? Or like, do we have to wait to the end of the season to know if these points could make a difference? I hope we have to wait till Abu Dhabi to know. I, yeah. I hope we get that kind of season again. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, speaking of like the driver's uh, standings, Russell's now the only driver to have finished like in the top five of every race this, this season. And, you know, he's clearly had a much, much better weekend than Hamilton with Hamilton really struggling at the back. Yeah. You know, after a difficult qualifying session, both of them were knocked out uh, in the Q2 session. They didn't make it to Q3. And, you know, neither of them like performed really well in the sprint, right? I, I don't think they made significant gains uh, uh, to move up in the sprint to, you know, start uh, the race in better positions. And at the end of the day, Russell started P11 after the sprint for the race. And, you know, by turn two, he was P6. Uh, while Hamilton started, like, I think in uh, P14 and he finished the race only in P13. So uh, he spent a bunch of like laps behind Gasly trying to, you know, make that move. He's stuck in that DRS train and, you know, it, it didn't really work for him. So why is it that Russell is able to achieve like more with this car than a seven time world championship for a teammate? Is it yeah. too, like, is it early days? So we are only seeing like, uh, you know, we're not seeing the Hamilton of old. What do you think? I think, uh, you know, uh, one stat that was like really thrown around was that um, Mercedes uh, got knocked out of Q3 uh, both cars for the first time since Japan 2012. And if you just let that sink in, that's about 10 years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, which is pretty much Hamilton's entire time at Mercedes. Mercedes. So, um, I uh, don't think... He it's been a very long time since Hamilton was in a bad car. Mm. Uh, he, he, you know, Mercedes has been extremely competitive and has had an extremely well-developed fast car for a long time now. That's how they have eight constructors titles in a row. Um, and um, 
Russell at this point he's got like 49 points in the championship uh, versus Hamilton has 28 that's like a 20 point difference um and I think perhaps the reason for that is that Russell has spent the last three years at Williams driving a bad car yeah he's now in a Mercedes which is a bad car uh versus Hamilton has spent the last seven eight nine years at eight years at Mercedes and then like previously at McLaren driving very, very competitive cars. Perhaps it's going to take him a couple of races to get used to driving a bad car. Yeah. Uh, I think it's sort of the inverse with him and Sainz, right? Sainz in his life, I don't think has had a race winning car. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's very used to extracting the maximum out of a car that's not the most efficient or, mm-hmm. the, or the fastest on track. And he's been given the fastest car on track or one of the two fastest cars on track. And he just doesn't know what to do with it. Um, so in that sense, I would say that they're in um, the exact inverse, like put, put science in this Mercedes and he'll probably be able to win a race <laughs> and put Hamilton in that Ferrari and he'll be back to his winning ways. Yeah. But that's not happening. Um, so he has come out and said that he's out of the championship. And, you know, there's like Toto came onto the radio and um, apologized to him saying that this car is undrivable and it's not worthy mm-hmm. of a seven-time world champion. And, but yeah, at the same time, you have Russell uh, taking that that very same car into a P4. Yeah. Um, Consistently, right? For yeah. four races now. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I think it's that, that, you know, he's able to um, get the hang of driving a bad car mm-hmm. a little better than... There is an art to it, no? Driving a bad car. Absolutely, there is. Do you think age has anything to do with it? I mean, we're seeing Alonso. So yeah. I, I don't know if age is the... No, when I say age, I mean, you know, with uh, like a primary uh, problem that Mercedes is having is power poison, right? And the mm. car like bouncing around. So do you think like Russell's younger age is like, uh, you know, prepared him? Uh, like he, he just it's deals with it. Yeah, it's, his body is easier, like taking it better, right? Than Hamilton. Mm. Um, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, Russell's come out and said that he is... Uh, he's experiencing a lot of like chest and back trouble, right? Yeah. I, I can't imagine like Hamilton is not experiencing yeah. the same. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I thought maybe that that could be one of the reasons why uh, he's Russell able to extract is, that. you know, this that a little bit more from the, from the car. I thought that that could make like a significant difference. Yeah. Um, but I, I wonder is, is the, is the dynamic between them, uh, uh, are we going to see a repeat of, uh, what happened with Ferrari in 2020, where Charles came in and like, uh, decimated Sebastian Vettel? Uh, I actually didn't think that would happen this season. Uh, a lot of people spoke about it, right? Before like the season started, that, yeah. you know, that the young gun is coming in historically when these young upstarts. Uh, move in, into bigger teams, they tend to um, decimate their teammates for the very reason that they used to fighting like a lower powered, not such a great car, like, yeah. like exactly like you were saying. So I just didn't think the difference would be so significant. And maybe it's uh, early days and uh, we'll see Hamilton like claw back his form once Mercedes got kind of like figures out uh, their car issues. Mm. But uh, yeah, we'll if, see they if they figure out this car issues. 
okay but um, speaking of like mercedes and who are most certainly a midfield team uh, in the 2022 season yeah. uh, what is the midfield like what even is the midfield anymore uh that that's such a hard question to answer even after four races like i think historically after four races you had somewhat of an idea of the pecking order yeah uh, of at least the team like if yeah. not like the teammates as well uh, and the drivers championship we know ferrari and red bull are on top we know that very clearly right but, but what happens after that after that is anybody's game right i think the new rules and regulations have ensured that there is a uh, there are battles up and down the entire grid and uh, all 10 teams have scored points yes all 10 teams have scored points uh, aston martin has shockingly scored points with two cars this weekend i mean i think that was the biggest shock for me yeah um made the most of like everyone else's bad weekend but they were there and they were able to hold on to yeah. those up uh, places in a car that's supposed to be the slowest car on track right i think yeah. you mentioned that earlier yeah, yeah. So, and we've seen sonoda doing better than gasly this yes. year and he had a he had quite a mixed year last year with like yeah. a whole bunch of crashes very inconsistent but he's he's i think turning that around this year yeah and we've seen alpine struggle right for whether it's a question of like bad luck poor reliability yeah you know alonso seems to have the pace when it comes like to qualifying and he's like right there seems to be like best of the rest you know competing for that top 4 top 5 grid yeah. slot but come the race he's just not had that yeah, those performances right? yeah he's just not had those performances to capitalize and I, don't even get me started on ocon <laughs> you know and like his uh, woes at uh, alpine and competing with a, a two time world champion like alonso um So yeah there are so many thing teams to like talk about for this midfield McLaren was struggling uh, like if you look at Bahrain they were really struggling yeah. and you would have said that they are in the bottom four but then Lando has a podium and they ended yeah. the sprint in 5 and 6 yeah. so um yeah yeah they seem to have made huge strides from that Bahrain weekend right and i think Andrea Seidel came out this weekend and said that we have potentially uh, figured out what the What's issues was yeah and they've like brought solutions so i think it's uh, remains to be seen if they can sustain this form over uh, different kinds of tracks but yeah they, definitely in the last two races they seem to be f- like a far more improved team than bahrain and haas was struggling in australia but then they again had a good weekend uh, with kevin magnussen uh, scoring the points both yeah. in the sprint as well as in the race yeah. so um yeah i think um, there's still time to decide who's best of the rest definitely who's best of the rest i mean we not even like touched upon alfa romeo and botas and his uh, form at alfa romeo yeah. he seems to be doing so well and you know his battle with uh, russell this race was it was so good to watch right yeah. and and uh, of course people like everybody was like talking about their coming together last year and will be we'll see a repeat of that but it was such clean racing and it went really to the line right so i think that's that's uh, i think the new rules have done uh, wonders for uh, the midfield teams or like the best of the rest teams and yeah yeah i don't know at what point they're going to be able to have like that clear pecking order as to who is uh, the midfield and who is in anymore yeah um, who was your uh, driver of the day 
Ah, so many good performances, yeah. Uh, I feel like uh, my driver of the day is going to end up being Russell. I think George Russell uh, did something with the Mercedes at the start of the race that it blew my mind, you know. Yeah. And and even that underpowered Mercedes that he had so many struggles with, he said that he's struggling with understeer on the inters and then the team forgot to make the adjustments at his pit stop uh, uh, on the front wing. Uh, he continued to have even worse understeer throughout yeah. the race. He battled with uh, Botas right up to the line and I think he held on to that position beautifully and he's just, he's made the absolute maximum of his weekend and I don't think anybody could ask for any more. I think he had like a, 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 I think he was definitely my driver of the day. Okay. What about yours? I think it, um, I, I really agree about Russell, but I think it also has to be uh, Valtteri. Uh, I think he had a great weekend. Um, you know, he, uh, um, his, uh, the, the moment that you mentioned um, of George's overtakes on Kevin Magnuson, um, you could see Bottas in the background and uh, he he almost made that move on uh, Magnuson as well. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, it was almost like you you were wondering if uh, in the process of Russell and Magnuson fighting each other, would Bottas get ahead of everybody else? Right. Um, and uh, his team, uh, they, they had a really slow pit stop. It was an 11-second pit stop. What is it with Bottas and pit stops? <laughs> Uh, but uh, um, yeah, yeah it, it's almost like a new Bottas that we're seeing in uh, Alfa Romeo, right? Yeah. Like it's a completely new, renewed driver. I, I don't recognize him from the Bottas I knew last year. Yeah. So um, if not for that 11 second pit stop, uh, he would have very much been fighting with uh, Lando perhaps for a podium. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, if not for that pit stop. So um, yeah. And even um, even for P four, he was fighting with Russell uh, right down to the last lap, and, and like and he he's really good with uh, stealing spots on the last lap, right? Like if you think about Saudi Arabia last year and how he got onto the podium, like at the last uh, the last corner, yeah, I think. Uh, ahead of Ocon. Yeah. So uh, I, I would have to say it's Valtteri. Yeah, I think uh, what's really helped him. Yes, he he's been driving brilliantly. No doubt about it. And. Uh, I think earlier on in the week, he spoke about how um, he's influencing the team like he's never done before because yeah. he's like being, uh, he's free now to, okay, in his words, basically he's getting what he wants. Like he's asking for changes and the team is actually listening to him. Yeah. Uh, and that's a new feeling for him. Yeah. As much as the support of the support he got in Mercedes, I think uh, being that lead driver in Alfa Romeo makes a huge difference. And yeah. we're seeing that. In his performances on track, but uh, what was your five lights moment, uh, Sukriti? Uh, what was that moment that really got you know your adrenaline pumping, or you know it was like a heartbreak moment for you? Um, I think it has to be Charles going off the track. Um, yeah, because the, I think that was a moment where I thought, oh, that's his race done. Yeah, and it's uh, good heavens, it's going to be like a double DNF for Ferrari in Italy. So I think that was going through my mind where I was like. Okay, yeah. they, we cannot possibly have this happen again because Monza 2020 yeah. is what like came into my mind. So yeah. I think that like just just his him going off the track, going into barriers, and then seeing him come back and being mm -hmm. like, oh, okay, it's it, it's not over yet. Yeah, that I would say is my five lights moment. Um, 
So my five legs moment has to be, you know, the battle between uh, Magnuson, Russell and Botas, uh, like we were talking about earlier. The move that Russell made to finally get past Magnuson, uh, I think that was brilliant. He had the D- he was in the DRS uh, zone without DRS. Uh, you know, he was in Magnuson's slipstream, and you know he actually got past Magnuson in the first corner, but uh, went off track, couldn't keep the position, and again without any DRS at the Variante Alta chicane, he just sent it. Yeah. You know, and and what a brilliant move and you you talk about how uh move like overtaking is only like in the drs zones and that's how that's where f1 is heading and yes i see that as well but you have moves like this on track and i, I think it just takes my breath away mm-hmm. and that's what f1 is and you know that was definitely my five likes moment for sure um but yeah coming to miami in two weeks time right it's a brand new street circuit it's got like 19 corners you know it's got three straights potential for like three drs zones what do you think is going to happen what are your predictions for this complete unknown um it's a brand new circuit right but given that it's given that it's a street circuit and um uh yeah, I, I think uh, it's advantage Red Bull. I think they tend to do very well mm. in um, street circuits. If you think back to Baku, if you think back to Jeddah. Um, so I would say it's um, it's advantage Red Bull. Uh, any predictions for the midfield? <laughs> uh, I will say this. I think we see three different constructors in the podium. Okay, well, that's a that's, that's quite a bold prediction. bold yeah. Uh, prediction. Yeah. I actually think uh, we are going to see uh, Ferrari having something to prove. Uh, Their updates are coming to Barcelona, right? Not yes, Miami. Not Miami, but you you never know, right? They have like two weeks, but who knows if they're going to like uh, accelerate those plans given their uh, poor showing in uh, uh, Imola. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we're going to see a strong Ferrari. I think. It's going to be a Ferrari Red Bull podium. Okay. I don't with know no which, with no third <laughs> team. I don't think so. Uh, but yeah, I think we're going to see Mick score his first point. Oh, I, I, I'll uh, predict that. Okay. Yeah. He was so close uh, this time. Uh, yeah. This time around, but um, yeah, made that mistake on lap one and sort of just tumbled down. The exactly. Order. Yeah. Um, a lot of mistakes from Mick uh, that we're seeing right this season. This, this, this season yeah. So. I think he's going to have. Uh, I think he's going to ensure that he has a clean weekend and at least score his first points. So, do you think we'll actually see Ferrari updates in Barcelona? Because we were supposed to see them in Imola, but then they said it's raining, so we'll no. Sorry, we were supposed to get a new diffuser in Australia. Then they said we'll wait for both the cars to get it together, yeah. and then they said Imola, but then it was raining in Imola, so they said Miami. And now we've said uh, Barcelona. Are there any updates? I'm pretty sure there are. Uh, we'll I, get them eventually. I think we will <laughs> definitely get them. And I'm sure some updates will come up in Miami because, as I said, right, uh, Ferrari is not led a world championship in a while. So um, I think they would want to do everything they can to like consolidate and hold on to their feet. So. But they've come out and said they don't regret uh, uh, um, Charles' push uh, to get that P2, you know, which led to him spinning oh uh, yeah and then eventually finishing p6 um i don't what else would be not say right how, how else is he gonna like 
placate uh, the Tifosi. Uh, he will say that, yeah, we are pushing, with, you know, we don't regret our drivers. Audience said that science should have yeah, so, so that's it's exactly what I'm saying, right? It's, it's very uh, it's interesting. Uh, it's going definitely going to be an interesting race in Miami and and we can like face off over whether Ferrari is being um, too partial to Charles or not. <laughs> we'll know soon enough. But uh, yeah, thanks so much for joining me, Sukhdev, for this uh, this week's podcast. Thank you and, for having me. Uh, um, thanks a lot for tuning in, guys. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Five Lights underscore F1 for the latest from the world of Formula One. Cheers. Have a great night.